mini-episode 1347 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. As far as a more macro-level kind of look at winners and losers in the draft. Uh, as I say, up on FantasyDraftHelp.com at the main page are post-NFL draft rankings. We have them in a couple of different categories, and these are based, of course, the foundation being the Jason Jones Top 100 uh, in our draft guide, Pro Football Draftology 2021, also available right there as a download on the main page of FantasyDraftHelp.com. So what I'm going to give you is the top guys, uh, and the bottom guys here at each of a couple of these rankings here. There's one where it's a point system, and this is just purely on talent as far as the top 100 goes. So this is this is not taking into account needs or anything else like that. Your top 10, number one, Jacksonville, 368 points. Two, Miami, 321. Three, the New York Jets, 241. Four, Tennessee, 206. Five, New York Giants and Pittsburgh tied at 205. And here's a real nerdy joke. Uh, if you were to tell me that actress Rooney Mara's lucky number was 205 after looking at that, I would believe you. Number seven, Philadelphia at 199. Number eight, Detroit 196. Nine, Carolina 194. Ten, Dallas 192. The bottom ten here. The losers, as it were, in this just on talent as far as the top 123, Baltimore. 116, 24, Tampa Bay, 112, 25, Kansas City, 97, 26, Washington, 90, 27, San Francisco with 85 points, 28, the Rams at 64, tie for 29, Houston and Seattle at 52, 31, Green Bay with 42 points, 32, New Orleans with 38. This one, this next one overlays value and needs. So it's points based on value in the top 100 and how did you do on applying this to your needs and the bigger the need you fill the more points you got in this so this, this is probably a more accurate reading i would say of, of the winners and losers than the first category we have them both here so you can decide for yourself number one jacksonville again 508 number two miami 481 three dallas 452 four cincinnati 428 five is cleveland 425 by the way and we'll talk about this even these rankings here are limited because they're just based on the top 100. If you look at the overall draft, Cleveland probably did better even than fifth. But just on this metric, they were fifth. Six is the Jets at 401. Seven, Minnesota, 391. Eight, New York Giants, 385. Nine, Philadelphia, 379. Ten, New England, 362. So by the way, the Giants sliding from a tie for fifth to eighth in this one here, that means they did better, of course, on just getting talent than they did getting talent and matching it to their needs which is kind of predictable for a Dave Gettleman regime, I would say. Uh, the bottom 10, San Francisco, 225 in 23rd place, tied for 24th, Buffalo and Indy at 198, 26th place, Tampa Bay at 172, 27, Washington, 170, the LA Rams, 28th place with uh, 124, 29 is New Orleans at 78, 
30, Green Bay with 62. Tied for 31st is Houston and Seattle with 52. If you remember, that's the same number of points they had. Very bad number just for value. That means they added nothing by applying their paltry points to needs. So they sucked in both categories. They actually sucked worse in terms of needs because they got no bonus points for addressing needs. This is a new metric. Percentage of team needs filled by top 100 players. This is something we looked at for the first time here. So the needs that they had that were listed in our draft guide needs filled. Number one, Cincinnati, who, by the way, to me, they're a stealth team coming out of this draft. Cincinnati is, is a stealth playoff contender, I think. 67% of their needs filled. Tied for second with 50%. Cleveland, Dallas, Kansas City, San Francisco, tied for sixth. Arizona, Jacksonville, New England, and the Jets with 40%. Tied for 10th place at 38%. Detroit, Miami, Philadelphia. The bottom 10, Carolina, 17%. Tied for 24th, Atlanta and Pittsburgh with 14%. 26th place, uh, Green Bay with uh, 13%. Also tied for 26th is the LA Rams at 13 and Las Vegas with 13 29th place, New Orleans with 12%. 30th place, Buffalo with 11%. And the aforementioned Houston and Seattle filling a whopping 0% of their needs with top 100 players. So... I'll start with you, Chris, and, and I'm curious, when you look at something like this, how much it aligns with or doesn't align with your gut feelings on the winners and losers in this draft? Well, as usual, um, I think that your metric does generally coincide uh, with how I felt teams did with the draft, although I will say, looking at your, um, your value ranking uh, based on the 100, You've got the uh, Washington football team at 26. I actually, and again, this is probably just my board uh, versus Jason's top 100, top to bottom. I really like what the uh, what's called the Redskins, what the sure. what the football team, uh, <laughs> what, the, what WFT WTF, <laughs> what they did uh, in, the, in the draft. I really like what they did. So. You know, in my ranking, I have them much higher than 26. Mm -hmm. um, and in your, you know, in your combined one, they end up in 20th in 20th place. So, um, you know, but that's that, that's just you know, using just straight metrics like you have. I, I I think this is a this is a good way to put some numbers to it. But then you've got to take and you got to dive into the actual players. Um, yep. Um, and so my rankings wouldn't be quite quite like this. I do think it's interesting that you end up now with a power uh, ranking of roster. The Cleveland Browns is number one ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep, but, here, but here's the thing, though, Chris. Here's the thing about that is wide receiver, they did get Schwartz. And, and, and again, that wasn't necessarily a position of weakness going in there. It was just a thing more to address for beyond this year when as much as a lot of us might not want to admit it, this is probably the swan song for Landry and Beckham. And you got to be looking down the barrel of 2022 here. So for the Browns, at the, to speak of any needs whatsoever at this point, is sort of nitpicking. And that's where, and as I alluded to, Jason, even in metrics like this, there are limitations to them because, again, the Browns are only fifth here on our combined metric of value and addressing needs. And I think a lot of us would probably have the Browns substantially above fifth in the draft. Uh, here in terms of the totality of what they did, addressing the needs. And again, they did need help at cornerback. They did need help at linebacker. 
I must admit, I was very, very cynical when they passed over JOK. So Chris gets to do the I told you so that they, they did get him subsequently here. I like to think I'm responsible in some way because of the Morris reverse jinx. I do find that this happens a lot. Like if I, if I really whine about something, I can sort of manifest it happening. So I feel like the reverse jinx kind of worked. You're welcome, Browns fans. And uh, I, I know we're all happy with getting JOK in Cleveland here, but they got JOK, they got Newsom. So for a team like the Browns, fifth almost kind of feels limiting here in the in the standings. Yeah, their value is uh, remarkable in some of these, and I'll get to the Browns in just a second. Um, since you mentioned Cincinnati, I want to use them as sort of my case study for how I'm judging most of these teams. There was a sense that you were either on the fence, one side or the other, of you go get the best weapon you can for Burrow, and you get him the best protection you can get. And I think, more or less, we were of the mindset that you got to protect the kid. But when they went Jamar Chase, I totally get it. Totally makes sense. But now you're in this free fall where you're just hoping that you don't have to trade up and get you know the last guy on a certain tier. And what's interesting about that is if, if Cincinnati is reserved to the fact that you are not getting Sewell and you are not getting Slater, to come back around at the top of the second round and get Jackson Carmen from Clemson is about as good a scenario as you can have. And when it comes to drafting, uh, and I love this because um, I think it was Dee Podesta actually used my own terminology when talking about the draft and suggesting that it is a puzzle, meaning you're trying to get the best collection of players. It's not a sprint to the one guy you want first. So. When you look at Cincinnati, Jamar Chase, automatic, no no question about it. He's going to be sick. Um, Carmen is right up there. I don't think he was in my top five necessarily, but he's up there as far as a guy that projects to be a starter. Then you come back and fill the defense with two defensive ends, one of which I do believe is going to play outside linebacker. But as you go through, you have to go all the way to the sixth round where I get the first person where I go, mm-hmm. That's what you wanted to do. Um, so you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks in a row that I look at and go, yes, you've addressed need. You've supplemented your roster so that you've got some guys that will develop into something. But they don't leave this draft feeling like they still have that gaping hole after taking Jamar Chase. Now, we come back to a team like Washington, and we want to use them as an example. And while I, I get the vibe, I think I know why Chris likes him so much, and, and I'm, I'm overreaching here, but I'm guessing the De'Ami Brown was a huge score when they picked him. But my issue with Washington is that Jamin Davis was a reach. Now, he was getting first-round love going into this draft. Right. It's not like he was going to be there when they picked in the second round. So if that's their guy, and that's what they needed, Okay. But trade back. Um, yeah, my thought is trade back a little bit, gain some assets, see, see if you can still get him maybe in the mid-20s. Because here's the thing, if we go back to our, pre, our pre-show, um, Chris was the only one that was like 100% all in on Newsom. Now, for me, I was going to be over the moon if Newsom is the consolation prize. But you look at that and say, as a Browns fan, I'm going, well, thank you for taking Davis at 19 because I would have been okay trading 26 to 19 so that we could get 
Jay, okay. Um, <laughs> end up getting anyway. Um, but when I look at theirs, it's less that it's you know one through eight, and more so that I love one, I love two, love three, love four. Uh, then we jump all the way down to seven. Shock and Tony, I thought was phenomenal uh, value for them, um, and that's how I'm judging this. Is is the numbers are going to say what they say? Um, so I have no issue with with this ranking as we're looking at the numbers because all that makes tangible logical sense if i'm shooting from the hip and just kind of reacting emotionally to this i'm judging most of these teams on what what's the concentration what's the puzzle look like because i don't care if you got the guy you got at one if the guy that you that you wanted to get because if the guy you actually got at one plus the guy you got at two is better than the guy you wanted at one alone then you've done a good job and i think that's why people like andrew barry are being revered right now is that you look at his draft specifically looking at Cleveland and you go in and I've got to I've got to chew through some of this real quick so bear with me sure but my impression and this is where fan bases can differ my impression was linebacker is issue one two and three and right. you get one you cross that list off but to me the biggest hole so to speak was linebacker and you have to accept, if we're going to talk about prospects evolving, the game evolving, you've got to come back to the idea that drafting evolves as well. And that's why GMs don't always pick by need. It's why you have this need versus best player available. And in certain situations, you're going to take the best player. Now, when you look at Cleveland's situation, I can buy the notion that Denzel Ward, injury issues, Greedy Williams, great pickup, hasn't played yet, is scary. So if you add another corner that can legitimately start at cornerback one or cornerback two, I see the value in that. And because he's rated where he was when he got him, Houston makes perfect sense. So I, two minutes after the pick, I was not upset about it. I was like, great. We got literally the number two guy that was on my list. Now let's see what happens. Now, obviously, I'm looking at, you know, Cox and the kid from North Carolina, uh, Chaz, something or other. Um, but then... Hold on a second. Let me let me put away my soapbox because we don't have time for that. But when you come back and you look at the team like what the Browns did of getting a guy they desperately need and where his value was ideal, because I think most of us thought Newsom was like 20 to 30 range kind of guy. But he can step and start right away if need be. If Greeny's not ready, roll him out. You're good to go. But then to come back around and sit in the weeds – and not jump, because you both know that if Andrew Barry called me after 26 and said, when am I trading up for Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, you know damn well it wasn't 52. I'm coming 40, 30, somewhere. I would have probably tried to trade back in the first round to not lose him. Right. The fact that these GMs, and not all, but guys like Andrew Barry, some of this newer blood, are looking at this and treating this draft more surgically, and, and weighing how bad do I want it versus how bad is the cost. And to sit there and lie in the weeds and then just go, oh, 50, boom, who can we trade with, was brilliant. And for me, I know they did well after this, and we'll get to that. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm done. After that, you get Newsom and JOK, the, the draft is a win for me. I can walk away because those are the two things we need. Now, you mentioned the wide receiver thing, and this might be the hill that I die on. 
but I refuse to accept right now that there is any way, shape, or form that we have to go in and say there's no way Beckham and Jarvis stay. Now, maybe I'm pulling on a whole bunch of soap opera storylines here, but I, I just can't wrap my head around the notion that Jarvis would ever want to leave after what he's begun to build here. And I think if Odell leaves, it'll be one of these things where he just says, hey, it's great. I was, I was here, but I need to move on. I can see that happening. Losing both of them, I find to be unacceptable. And furthermore, to go in and, and start filling holes that we don't have because, what, we're afraid we can't ask J.C. Shredder to take a pay cut? Get out of my face with this wide receiver nonsense. You do not build what we have and just start shedding stuff because we fell in love with some rookie wide receiver. The only flip side, Jason, to that is, and by the way, and this is one of the, this, one of the most critical development stories on the team this year is Donovan Peoples-Jones, DPJ. Uh, if they can really bring him along, that's going to be important. The thing of it is, Jason, as you know, is there are choices that are going to have to be made. Now, again, the cap is going to, in, in years to come, rise up because it is sick TV money, but there's there's going to be trade-offs, Jason, and uh, there's not a lot of guys that we're going to look for them not to re-sign to second deals here. That's where it starts to get tricky. Well, and I guess where I'm coming from with this is you're going to have to pay Baker. But I also don't think Baker's getting Mahomes money. No, shouldn't. You got to rethink. You got to resign Chubb. Yes, at all. There's no two Definitely. ways about that. Because if you ask a Browns fan to say with a gun to your head, who is the one player you can't lose? I hate to say it, but it's probably Chubb. Chubb. So you're gonna have to pay him. But there's nothing about this man from a character standpoint that tells me that he's gonna tell his agent that we're getting max money or I'm walking. I think if they throw him a respectable deal, sign on that line, should be done with it. Now, at some point, Garrett's always going to have a big ticket. Uh, you got to worry about Ward. Is he going to get max dollars? So, yes, decisions will have to be made. But what I'm saying is, in some grouping, Baker, Chubb, Jarvis, Garrett, probably Ward, and maybe one of these younger players that develops into something more, there's a core there that you absolutely have to pay. Now, that means that I've got to lose Anthony Walker or I've got to lose um, Conklin if one of these tackles develops. I'm fine with that. Right. But there's a, set, a sense that there's a core that we have to maintain. And I'm not saying that I have to keep OBJ. I love him, and I hope he prospers and wants to stay. But I think of the two, I'm not willing to part with Jarvis, and I, I'd like to think that he would take less than $13 million to stay. Well, and and uh, and Joku is definitely a guy who uh, you, you look at it, and he's not going to be here past this year, so that money can be reapportioned going forward. So that's a little bit, anyways. But anyways, uh, to to just kind of go uh, full circle on this thing here, and uh, you know, get to any of the points uh, not made yet, uh, I will start with you, uh, Chris, as far as any of your thoughts on the draft we've not yet addressed. Well, I want to start by just correcting Jason. My love of the Washington football draft has everything to do with sixth-rounder Cameron Cheeseman, uh, <laughs> long snapper out of Michigan. I, I just love the name Cheeseman. I, I've always considered Who doesn't? Right. I've always considered <laughs> myself a Cheeseman. So I, I, I'm just a little, I'm just a little uh, smitten over that that pick. Without uh, the name, I'm totally down for it. Uh-huh. I was very worried there for about 2.3 seconds when you said long snapper. And I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. there's something else going on, like maybe he uh, wanted to go to Ohio. Really 
his, his name is Cheese Man. Uh, that's all I know. That's all that's needed. Um, actually, I love the uh, I love the uh, Washington draft just because I liked it from top to bottom. I liked Davis as a pick. Um, again, I as I said prior to, I thought he was one of the two linebackers the Browns would have considered in terms of system fit. Him and JOK. I, I like the Cosme pick at tackle. Um, I'm a big Love fan that. of Benjamin St. Juice out of Minnesota, the cornerback. Deami Brown, yes, I, I love Deami Brown as a, as a, as a prospect. Uh, and then, of course, uh, all the way down to the fifth round, the Washington football team goes and gets Derek Forrest, who I'm high on, uh, the safety out of Cincinnati. So I loved their draft. I really, you know, top to bottom, I, I really like them. Um, you know, another thing about, you know, you're talking about the salary cap, you're talking about wide receivers, you're talking about the Browns. I mean, there's guys that aren't going to be here. I mean, we drafted Nick Harris to replace Jason Treader. So, you know, mm-hmm. he's probably not here much longer. Let's be honest. I mean, I think Barry's going to start to regret the Hooper contract before too long. He might. Um, in terms of performance versus dollars. Um, I hope you're right about Jarvis, that he'd be willing to, you know, to go down to, you know, nine $9 million a year or so to stay here. Um but I just don't know. In terms of, again, dollars versus production, Jarvis's production is replaceable. Now, OBJ was, you know, he's not ever going to take a pay cut and stay with Cleveland. So I think that's when people start talking about who's going to be here, and, and Rick talks about wide receivers, a future need. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, can they develop him? Can they develop him? Anthony Schwartz, um, you know, can they develop these guys to be eventual replacements? For these top line guys, I mean, look, that's that's now the next phase of what the Browns have to become, right? Because if you now go by Rick's ranking and you say Cleveland has the best roster in the NFL, that's the next phase, right? You know, next year is going to be all about drafting, not for need, but best player available, maintenance, and then starting to develop, right? Um, you know, and, and we saw some of that already this year in the Browns draft. In the later rounds, you know, uh, you know, getting the tackle out of Cincinnati. He's only played tack, you know, tackle for two years. He's got great physical traits, but he's raw. Uh, they're going to have to develop him. Don't forget, they went ahead and got, they brought back uh, Sinat from Dallas, who Dallas had signed off the Browns practice squad in the middle of the year down there to play left to play tackle. Browns like him so much, they 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 re-signed him and brought him back out of Dallas. Right. Uh, so you know, there there's they are adding depth to this team. I think it's interesting, you know, because we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, Wyatt Teller. I mean, are we going to give him a big contract, or or are we going to say we've got enough dollars in this line already? You know, we're we're just not going to put you know another big you know, Conklin Betonio type contract out there for Teller, that might happen. Fans will be gravely disappointed. Um, so, I mean, look, these are good problems to have, right? right. Yeah, I mean, what, wow, the days when we were, you know, we, we were relying on an undrafted free agent, you know, defensive tackle from Parma to help <laughs> us get our one win of the season. And, it, you know, he's not making the he's That guy like that's not making the squad anymore. He's not right. even on the fifty-three man, and that's right. a good problem to have. When you're gonna, have, we're gonna have to cut by the end of the season, good players, uh, and say goodbye to them. So, back to the draft. Uh, you know, again, I liked, I liked what Washington did. 
Um, there are a number of teams look that I like what they did. I mean, let's be I mean, heck, I I, I liked what the, obviously yes, the Browns had a, had a very good draft. Um, I thought Dallas trading down in round one um, and picking up a third rounder and 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 turning that into um, another defensive end, you know, so they pick up Michael Parsons and 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 then they and then they go and they get Chauncey Golson. Uh, out of Iowa, the defensive end, with that despite dropping down two picks, you know they pick up Jabril Cox uh, again, another linebacker. I, you know Dallas is now like linebacker U. They've got so many linebackers there. I guess Sean Lee really did have to retire. Well, um, they needed him though. They needed him. Well, I mean, look, they've got Jalen Smith and they've got Vander Ash, and now and now they've got Parsons and now they've got Jabril Cox. I mean, they are linebackers up. Right. Um, you know, but they, you know they did some good things. They picked up Calvin Joseph, who I think could be a really good corner. I, I don't, you know, I think he's going to need to develop in a year or two. But if he's if they're patient, I think he's going to be. He could be good. Picked up that uh, offensive tackle from Marshall. He had some off the field issues, but um, gives them some depth again. You know, so there were a bunch of teams that I really liked what they did. I mean, I thought what the Jets did was, you know, very sound. I mean, they they went and, you know, they, they get their quarterback that they like, then they come right back and, and do what it took to get Elijah Vera Tucker to protect him. So now that left side is all set between your tackle from last year and now you're going to put a left guard in there. I liked their picking up Elijah Moore. I mean, I was huge on Elijah Moore. Right. Uh, getting him in the second round and then coming back, in the fourth round of getting Michael Carter, the running back. Um, and then just for fun, they went ahead and took Michael Carter out of Duke in the fifth round. So they picked up two Michael Carters. That's right. Um, Can't have enough of them. So, so the, Jets are, the Jets are having some fun there with that. But, you know, I, I like what they – I like overall what, what they did in terms of, you know, protection and, and you know, some some uh, some talent that he can throw to, like more. And, and Carter's sort of that uh, – Giovanni Bernard, sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, player. Uh -huh. uh, the Eagles needed a wide receiver. Boom, they go and they grab Devontae Smith. They get the center out of Alabama. Uh, they get a defensive tackle to help with their depth there. I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I think the thing that I, I think that the, I think what we're seeing, and I, and I really curious about Jason's opinion on this, but it's more and more teams have adopted deeper elements of analytics and have, and have enlarged those departments within their scouting departments and have adopted these processes, uh, much like the Browns have, you know, the days of fans screaming, hey, it looks so stupid. You know, every team now, not every team, but most teams now are up to their eyeballs in, in uh, the spreadsheets and work of the nerds. And um, what I'm seeing, are better drafts by most teams in terms of value, need, future need. There just seems to be a lot better approach to drafting team after team other than the Raiders. Hmm. Um, yeah. They all seem to be getting it right. Because, and I think this is a function of the analytics. I, don't know, what, what do you, I mean, Jason, are you seeing what I've seen in the last few years? Because I'm seeing less and less drafts from teams where when I go through them, I want to go, F, 
you failed. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, you know, again, other than the Raiders. Um, <laughs> you know, I can go through and say, yeah, I love the Jets. I like what the Browns did. Uh, it made sense what, you know, what this, you know, what the Patriots did. Uh, you know, I can go through and say, yeah, this makes sense. And, I, and, it, and it just, it's all, it's just analytics staring at me that these teams are getting smarter and more efficient. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, you know, just looking through this and, and while we've been chatting, you know, I've got two screens up. I'm looking at, at Rick's grades here, and then I'm going through each team's individual and seeing where they match up. And what I'm finding, especially this year, and I think it has been maybe a two- to three-year progression, we just didn't really notice it maybe right away, is that it used to be you would have somewhere between one to five, like, clear-cut winners. They killed it. Whatever that was, top to bottom, they did really well. And you have five teams at the bottom. And then somewhere in the middle, you have teams that do really good, but, you know, a couple misses, whatever. I don't know what you're thinking there. This time, I'm looking through this, and with the exception of, and I'll draw your attention to specifically the value need metric, second column where we're taking both together. Go to the bottom. Seattle, Houston, Green Bay, New Orleans. Those those four right there encompass four out of the six that I think were really bad. So, again, the numbers are bearing out what we're talking about here. And, yes, if you forget the numbers for a second, just go back and look team by team by team. I think you will be able to count on one hand or less how many teams you think did really bad. And then if you look at it from bad or good, you know, pass-fail, I think 20 to 25 teams did really well, meaning that I may not love the pick they made, but if I love their first or second round, chances are they had a sixth or seventh round pick that I still look at and go, all right, I like that. And for instance, I'm looking at Pittsburgh right now, which I absolutely think is one of the candidates for the team that wet the bed. I love the Najee Harris pick. We've covered that. After that, though, didn't need a tight end and definitely not a jack of all trades but not great in anything. Tight, tight end. Um, then Kendra Green, Dan Moore, Buddy Johnson, Louder Milk. I don't understand these picks for this particular team. But then you still get Quincy uh, Roche from Miami in the sixth. Like, teams are still finding ways. And if that's analytics, I'm all for it. Um, and the only thing I've ever really had a problem with analytics with was the notion that analytics could veto film. And that's just the one area, maybe I'm just too old school, I can't get my head around that. But that combined with all the people that were saying, uh, specifically to Cleveland, that analytics don't value linebackers, therefore they're not going to take linebacker. Well, that wasn't exactly true. And if it's about prioritization, I'm fine with that. If you're a team out there and you know that running back isn't valued terribly high, don't take them right away. But you get to a point where you build your roster and you go, okay, now that's when we need that guy. So go get that guy. So I agree on some level without even looking at much of the numbers to say, I think you're absolutely right. I think the analytics and more teams doing it and subscribing to that idea are finding that the analytics can kind of help course correct or guide the scouting process to a much more balanced and effective end result. Very good answer. And I would just say, I would just say real quick, uh, not to defend, but to point out, it's like Houston and Seattle had very few draft picks. True. So I think that's the biggest reason why on Rick's metric they didn't rank well. 
I mean, I like what Houston had, you know, I mean, God, Houston didn't pick until the third round. Right. Um, and I like what they did in, in getting Davis Mills also. Boy, if that's not a clear announcement that Deshaun Watson is probably never going to take another snap in Houston again. I don't know what is. But then to come right back and also take up pick up Nico Collins, uh, wide receiver out of Michigan. Boy, I thought that was, you know, you know, they didn't have a lot of picks because of their past mistakes, but they nailed it on those two. There's right. definitely called an asterisk or just a footnote of some sort, but yes. Seattle had three whole picks, and they didn't pick until uh, 24th and second round. So right. on some level, yeah, we got to grade some of these on a curve a little bit. Um, and, and Houston was rough because of the gap between their first two picks. But no, that, that's absolutely, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm beating a dead horse here, but yeah, we need to factor in those teams that don't have a whole lot of picks to pull from. True, but that's, at the end of the day, though, it still leaves them in a compromised position. Seattle still has a lot of needs. You look at Russell Wilson, and you can really understand why he is not happy with this roster. And uh, Seattle being a team that I thought was going to be right there in the mix in the toughest division in football, and uh, boy, uh, not so much. I'm not nearly as impressed with them coming out of this thing. I think they're going to struggle to keep pace. Before I turn to Jason for your additional thoughts on the draft here, let me, let me go down a cul-de-sac here and ask each of you two guys this, because particularly with Seattle uh, being there, the Rams this offseason, they have a lot of needs. They've not had a good offseason in terms of keeping players versus uh, filling holes. I think the AFC North might be the toughest division in football here. I think they're taking the crown from the NFC West. Again, I'm impressed with what the Bengals did. I think that Pittsburgh has got to be feeling the, their hot breath on their backs at this point in time here, too. Pittsburgh still has a lot of needs, but uh, somehow or another, those scumbags always find a way to get to at least a certain level. Chris, agree or disagree that the AFC North has passed the NFC West? I agree. I think that Pittsburgh has slid some because of who they've lost. They kept enough together, and if Roethlisberger can be serviceable enough, they're going to be in the mix and dangerous until the end of the year. Uh, Cincinnati has greatly improved, and, and we saw it in year one. Burrow is a real deal. They've got a quarterback. If yep. you have a quarterback, you're competitive. Absolutely. Um, you can win games, and they've given him weapons. They've improved the defense. They're getting better. So the idea that, that they're going to somehow you know stay in the basement, watch out, Pittsburgh, because uh, I, that may not be the case. Uh, Baltimore. Look, they lost a bunch this year, and, and there's still some of us that aren't sold on Lamar Jackson. Me too. Um, long-term as a, as a quarterback, I'm still not. And and they've done a great job of devising an entire offense and roster around what he does. But I just think long-term, I don't think he's a guy that's going to get you where you need to go. And, and so I think that I think Baltimore – is treading water with what they've done this offseason. And I think the Browns have improved themselves. So I, I would look for the Browns to probably be favored to win the division by a game, you know, probably over Baltimore by about one game. That being said, the Browns have a much harder schedule than they did last year. Yep. So you're going to have to earn it. Yep. Um, when you go from having a weak schedule to having now the ninth hardest schedule, uh, and, and nobody's, you know, you're not sneaking up on anybody this year, Cleveland. Right. You're going to have to earn every first down and every and every win. Um, so, you know, I, I think Cleveland could be better. And, 
and still only win 11 games. Yeah. Um, you know, go 11 and six uh, in in this new 17 game season, um, just because of the, the, the schedule's brutal. So, um, but that you know that doesn't speak to their ability to contend for a Super Bowl. I just think that you know right. regular seasons, it's going to be a meat grinder. So I agree with you. I think it's the best division in football now. Uh, certainly the most competitive, and you could easily see it. You're going to see at least two teams come out of that division in the playoffs. Yeah, minimum two. And uh, optimistically, Jason, we could say steel sharpens steel because it is going to be tough. But uh, buy or sell. I got to tell you, Rick, look at the AFC overall. The yeah. AFC overall is becoming it's it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Chargers got much better. You know, they're a playoff contender. The Dolphins are yeah. a playoff contender. Yeah. Obviously, they just missed the playoffs last year. The Bills improved their roster. The the, the Chiefs just finished a complete you know break, tear down and rebuild of their offensive line while keeping their core together. You know, the entire AFC North. Uh, listen, the AFC right now, I mean, it's, it is a high watermark in terms of strength of teams, Yes, uh, especially as compared to, to the NFC. I would agree with that. Uh, Jason, buy or sell the, uh, the AFC North. We're going to go to a hokey talk show trope. Buy or sell the AFC North as the toughest division in football? Uh, buy, without question. Okay. Um, but I think it's really the result of a bigger lead league-wide paradigm shift. Because if we look around, and, and Chris just rattled off a big chunk of them, right? Just look at where we are now compared to where we were five years ago. Cleveland's a contender. Buffalo's a contender. Miami's about to be a contender. And then you have all these other teams that are somewhere in the middle that are, you know, good, but who cares, um, that are starting to mold themselves in a way that puts them in a position to maybe be a contender soon. Um, and if I use my local backyard, the one thing I got from Denver was Denver basically said, we're going to figure out quarterback. No big deal. Um, we want to be a little bit more of a running team, and we dare you to throw it. Flat out dare you, because they already had four corners. And then they went and got the best corner in the league during the draft. Um, and then they picked up a guy later um, in, I want to say, the middle rounds. It is also an impressive pickup. So you're starting to see that the result of is the is the AFC North better than the NFC West? Yes, but I'm I'm hoping we're getting to this place now where you're going to see the Clevelands, the Buffaloes, the Cincinnatis more so than we're going to see the New Englands, the Pittsburghs, and the Baltimores. Yes. Um, now I'm not ready to write off Baltimore just yet, but I I am ready to write off Pittsburgh right now. And come at me if you want, but. They've lost a ton of players. They didn't do a whole lot to fix it. Uh, they're going to try to ride Ben's noodle arm, and I, I just don't know if Najee Harris is enough. So I, I love it. I agree with you completely, uh, but I'm hoping that this is the, the signal or the harbinger of something much bigger. Very, very possibly, yes. And uh, as we did with Chris, uh, any additional thoughts that uh, you had thus far unsaid on the draft this year? Yeah, um, a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, and we don't have time to really go into everything, but um, I love that we kind of, this draft felt like we kind of threw out the order of operations a little bit and teams were allowed to be a little bit more flexible. It was, you know, 
insert Jalen Waddle argument all over again. But I love what both of these teams did. I didn't feel like anybody in the first round was a colossal reach. The closest thing I've got is David Davis, but if he didn't go at 19, he was going in the mid-20s anyway. So it's not that big of a reach. Um, so I love that teams went and they got punched where they needed it, unless they were a team that had a glaring need and went offensive line or defensive line, whatever, to fit that. Um, but I look at the landscape. Um, I love where most of these guys went. Um, I still have a problem with Oakland, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas. Um, I still have a problem with a couple of these teams and what they did. But overall, despite the COVID element and despite all of the stuff that we talked about for 46 months, tearing these kids down, building them back up, saying this guy's going to be great, this guy's not. I just look at everything as a whole, and I really feel like 75% of the league made themselves better than them. And isn't that the point here? Um, so, uh, nothing that jumps out at me. I'm, I'm not going to get crazy and say, you know, Lawrence isn't going to be, you know, John Elway reincarnated or whatever. But did these, did these teams do better? Absolutely. And I think both teams um, are going to come into this, this new league year and really like what they're looking at. Maybe not completely, but everyone did a little bit better. Some teams did much better. Um, and if I may say so, just because um, I think the Browns top to bottom did a phenomenal job. They didn't pick guys always where I thought they'd pick them, but the tackle from Cincinnati is clay for that uh, offensive line room. Callahan's going to be able to probably turn him into something. Um, Schwartz, I don't care if he's not polished yet. His hands are good enough. He's fast enough. And if you put him on the field, you best be sure that that defensive coordinator is going to know where that kid is at all times. The safety I like, the inside linebacker we got late, uh, Fields, I like them. I do think they're projects. But that's what good teams at this level do, uh, to the point of going best player available next year, is you've got to look at what some of these teams did and say, instant day one starters, good players that'll contribute right away that have the potential to be starters and then projects. And I feel like they nailed that. And they're one of about 12 to 15 teams that follow the same model. And I think it's brilliant. So I love what everybody did. I got no issues with anybody aside from the Raiders and Steelers. Uh, but I'm always going to have an issue with the Steelers. <laughs> um, so by and large, congratulations to the NFL. I think this was a wild success from top to bottom. It was, and by the way, and, and not to be the guy who, uh, because it's a cliche in the year 2021, but the guy who rants about participation trophies, but teams making themselves better here, uh, unless your draft was depleted of picks, as uh, again, Houston and Seattle kind of were, I would hope that you're a better team at the end of the draft than you were going in. <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it should just be a matter of, well, true, true, but I mean, isn't that sad? Isn't it a sad commentary that we can't just always assume somebody will be better? at Because it's like, here, take all these guys in these rounds. How can you not be better? But you're right, though. Past Browns regimes weren't better at the end of the weekend than they were beginning. So it happens. All, all i got to say, Rick, is go back yeah. to the old days. Yes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up the year. I want to say it was 05, maybe 06. Buffalo. I think they had two picks in one round, and we were doing a live show. Yeah. And we both kind of looked at ourselves like, what is Marty doing? Yeah. What is going on? And I just, we just don't see that as awesome. Yes, yes, and I remember that. 
you go into a draft, you get the free players. They took. So, <laughs> you should be able to do to, to improve yourself. They took the defensive back from Ohio State. You and I were ranting about that during our uh, fifteen-hour live cast or whatever it was in '06, which is still insane yeah, to me. Both of their picks were like mid to late second round value. Yes, yes, and you can't do that. You absolutely can't. But uh, again, uh, not every team drafts up to the level that they should. Having said that, this here particular panel, still 100% every time out. When we come here, whether it's the preview or recap, we're doing what we should. We're giving you everything we got. We're giving you the best level of analysis you're going to find anywhere. And I can't thank both of you enough. Chris Galloway, thank you so much for your time, bro. Loved it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jason Jones, the same, buddy. Thank you so much. Yeah, just uh, one more time I want to reiterate for all the people that are viewing or listening. Um, once again, for what, we are in here probably roughly about 15 of this? Yes. Um, stop going to Kuiper and McShay because, once again, for like the 15th year in a row, we've proven that we are so much more accurate and we don't fall into a lot of the little booby traps that they fall into. Some of the for this. We're just better. Well, exactly, exactly. And, again, I don't remember how we did exactly, if it was like six or seven, but I'm going to claim the tiebreaker on you in the mock, Jason, because Baltimore, uh, the picks of 27 and 31, I had them backwards, but I had the two Baltimore guys, so I'm taking that as the tiebreaker. Oh, no, you got that. You got that. <laughs> because that's, that's just how I am. I'm going to gravy train that. That's who I am. But, Again, appreciate it from you guys so much. Uh, the best draft coverage you are going to get anywhere here in the FDH Lounge, and it is because of Chris Galloway and Jason Jones. Uh, this is Rick Morris saying thank you very much for joining us for this mini-episode of the FDH Lounge.